welcome to Over the Edge Podcast with Paige Ray. I am Paige. And this is a weekly chat about pushing creative boundaries, making big moves without knowing all of the answers, and jumping off a cliff to our dreams while figuring out how to build a plane on the way down. So find your favorite chair, grab your coffee, and get ready to live the dream without losing your mind. Let's go over the edge together, friends. Congratulations to anybody who listens to today's podcast because you are in for such a treat. We have an amazing guest and I cannot wait to introduce you. But first, let me tell you a little bit about Crystal Whitaker. She is the founder and CEO of Crystal Lily Creative and author of Brave Leadership is a Choice, an Inclusive Guide to Creating Belonging. And side note, I have read this book. It is fantastic. And if you know me in real life, please come ask me for a copy because I have one for you. Crystal is a photographer by trade and an inclusive branding and leadership development consultant who helps mission-driven brands and leaders create human-focused messaging and environments rooted in core values, and we are going to get into core values today. Crystal brings over 15 years of creative, relational, process-driven experience across multiple industries. She is a self-described, corporate-trained, creative hippie who puts a strong focus on stronger values to help people connect, communicate, and lead with belonging in mind. Crystal cares deeply about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and is an advocate for leaders and organizations that provide resources and support for healing. But beyond her work, Crystal enjoys spending time at the beach, connecting with people, and exploring new places, traveling all over the world. So welcome, Crystal. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Paige. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for being here. I am so so excited because we have so much to talk about. So first, though, so much of your work focuses on core values. I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about your own core values and how core values at large fits into the work that you're doing. Yes. Oh, my gosh. You know I could get on many soapboxes about core values. Uh, so starting with my core values, so I actually, I have three buckets of core values and I do this work with my clients. So I have, there are brand core values, there's relationship core values, and then there's personal core values and there's overlap across some of those channels, but it's, I think it's really important to distinguish what is important to us as business owners and how we conduct business, how we expect people to honor our values and our brands and our businesses and our commitments. And then within that, the relationship core values are really important. And that's, you know, in and outside of professional spaces. What do you expect in your relationships, whether it's with colleagues or team members or your family, your partners, whatever that looks like. And then there's your personal values that you kind of hold dear to to yourself. And that's where I find a lot of overlap in terms of like my personal values showing up in my relationship values and my brand values. So for everyone tuning in, I will share my brand values are freedom, curiosity, well-being, community, and trust. And then, yeah. (laughs) Those are good. Okay, wait, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. That's okay. I feel like you have a question. Do you have a question? (laughs) I do. I want to hear more about, okay, I want to hear more about all of them, but I like the curiosity one sticks out at me and I feel like that plays into how much you love to travel and explore the world. Tell us about, well, tell us about all of it. I want to hear all of them. 
Yeah. Yeah. The curious. So it's funny. The curiosity value is, is a value that has come through that evolved from a value of empowerment because I tend to review my values on average once a year and just think, all right, does this still feel right? And most of the time it's true, but lately I, I felt, okay, empowerment, it does get kind of overused. Um, but I really thought about what empowerment meant to me and how it shows up in the way that I work with people. And what I recognized is that there's so much curiosity in the working relationships that I have, in the personal relationships that I have. And it requires me to be open and receptive, especially in the work that I do, rather than coming from a place of assumptions, being able to get curious around you know, different topics. And that also creates an invitation for the people that I'm engaging with to kind of consider how they're showing up as well and hopefully come into that space with curiosity too. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a multifaceted, inclusive branding coach and consultant, photographer. Um, And so what I do is I work with leaders and brands who want to create genuinely inclusive environments. And I do that by getting them rooted in their core values to make sure that all of the decisions that they're making are in alignment with their values with an inclusive lens. And it's been really, really rewarding and cool to witness people go through the process that I take them through when we work together and come out on the other side, just feeling, I could use the word transformed here, but I think ignited is a better placement where it's just ignited and kind of reinvigorated about how they are engaging with their communities, with their business, their work and in the world in general, because one thing that pretty much all of my clients tell me is that they're surprised when we go through this work together and we're starting to dig deep. The thing that they least expect is how much of a personal transformation they receive, right? Where it's like they, they, they come to me with the, the idea of, okay, this, we're going to work on inclusive branding and messaging. We're going to, you know, make sure that my business is inclusive and the way that I'm leading is inclusive. And I think what people really should know is that to do this work, it is healing work and it requires an ability and, and I, it requires people to really be reflective and go within themselves. And that's one of the things that, I mean, my framework is a six step framework. So we, we start talking about that almost from the outset. What does this look like for you? How do you connect with yourself? Because I love the people that come to me and they want to do this work because they care about creating that sense of belonging. And the reality is you can't create a true sense of belonging for others if you aren't clear on how to create a sense of belonging within yourself. Wow. Okay. Let's 
go, can we go deeper into that for a moment? Can you bring us deeper into the idea of belonging and what that means when you think about belonging to yourself? Like, what does that mean? Can you take us deeper into the, into these, into these concepts and ideas? Sure. So from the perspective that I work from, when we are creating belonging for other people, it's, you know, there it's, it's usually connected to some value that we have, right? So uh, an example, you know, if, if well-being as, as a core value, hopefully if well-being is, or even self-care is a core value for someone, it's not just about self, you know, you're also considering the well-being of others truly if well-being is a core value, right? But you have to understand what you need for your own well-being in order to uh, feel together and, you know, whole enough to be able to engage in this work in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. So how do you connect to yourself? What do you need to feel grounded? If you are uh, caught off guard in any way, if you're triggered in any way, especially when we get into the work of disrupting and identifying bias, you have to understand what you need to regulate yourself and reground when things feel challenging, even, even outside of, you know, inclusion and belonging work, just in general, think, think about disagreements in the workplace or disagreements between colleagues, right? If you aren't able to connect to yourself and understand what you need to move with a, you know, compassion and level-headedness, obviously there are exceptions because sometimes we have to get a little radical in certain areas, but Mm -hmm. in general, you've got to understand what makes you feel that sense of belonging because when you're able to connect with yourself in that way, and then you are in spaces uh, interacting with other people who have a different lived experience than you, hopefully you are able to extend that same compassion towards others and that same curiosity towards others that you have been practicing for yourself. Mm. That is such an amazing point because if you... Uh, us collectively, like a, like a, like a collective you, like if you can't allow yourself to feel belonging, are you ever going to let anybody else feel it too? Or, or are you going to show up in a way that's harmful that prevents that feeling of belonging? Mm -hmm. Is that, am I, am I, am I, is is that statement close? Am I around the idea? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's, that's not to say that, everything that we are unaware of is going to cause harm. Mm-hmm. I don't want I don't want people thinking that. Uh, but it is important to really develop that internal awareness around what our needs are that that help us function in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. so so that we can be constantly checking in with ourselves because here's the deal. like we're human. I do this for a living. I'm human and I still have days where, I am not my best. However, I've done enough work over the years 
to recognize, oh, I'm not my best today. You know, I'm operating at, you know, 60% capacity. I'm exhausted. I'm hungry and I'm probably going to be a little short tempered. So I need to like mind my mood. (laughs) Well, so this brings us to two to, so this brings us first, this brings us back to sustainability because this is work that doesn't have an end date. I mean, this is something it has to be sustainable so that it's consistently doable um, by the people who are entering into the work. But also this brings me to my next question in that the work you do requires um, such a big, it's such a big energy like ask of you, right? You create these spaces for really important conversation for other people to grow and expand. But on your end of it, can you tell us like what you, how you take care of yourself or how you mentally approach creating these spaces in a way that feels safe for you? Yeah. Um, Okay. So starting from the top, I, this, the way that I care for myself is it's a constant evolution, But over the years, I have developed a short list of things that I know that I need for my my own care. And that includes, you know, making sure that I have space and time for things like movement, journaling, meditation, um, mirror work is something that I love. I like to sing to myself. Um, You know, those, those, and for me, those are soul connections for myself. And so there's that short list of things that I'm able to access on my own. And of course, you know, nourishment, making sure that I'm fed and watered. That's Uh, important. Yeah, it is important. (laughs) And then I also am really clear on what my external support systems and, you know, who my external support humans are. Right. So I have a therapist. I I have joked in the past that the cost of working with me include like how how did I phrase it? Therapy is included in the cost of working with me. That's it's some it's a it's something that and yes. and, and yes. I and that's therapy for me mm-hmm. <laughs> because I couldn't do this work without the support of a mental health care provider. And that's not to say I'm going into therapy and like talking about my clients. That's not it. (laughs) I am doing my own healing work so that I can support my clients in their healing work. And I also know my boundaries around that. I always let my clients know, you know, we are going to, there, there is going to be a healing process through the work that we're doing just naturally by way of the questions that I ask in the sessions, uh, and, and how things are run in each container. But I always let people know I am not a therapist. I do recommend if you have access to mental health care support doing that, but there, there is an, an element of, you know, if we're working together, know that, a portion of your your fee is also helping to support me so that I can continuously sustainably support you. Yes. That's amazing. Oh. Build your external human team, like people to support you so that you yeah. can show up fully, you show up fully for your clients and also that allow like if your clients have their own external human support team, then they can show up fully in the work that they're showing up that they're doing with you too. 
Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, of course I have my, my personal humans, you know, best friends, trusted people that I can talk to and, you know, have them reflect things back to me or just hold space for me. And, you know, for example, when I was saying earlier, you know, those days where I wake up and I'm like, "Mm, I might only be 60%. I'm feeling a little irritable. Sometimes it's a matter of knowing that and having that awareness and just asking a friend, Hey, do you have capacity to just hold a little space for me today so that I can kind of, and, and even, even that, that small action of first asking permission before I do emotional dumping in my friends is yeah. <laughs> something that helps, but these are just a few ways that I care for myself so that I can have these conversations and keep these containers for my clients and, you know, the, the groups that I show up and, you know, train or teach if it's for an organization. And I always, always, always start with space agreements and guidelines on how we're going to share the space. It doesn't matter if I'm just doing a one hour training or, you know, a, a three or a six month coaching relationship here are our space agreements. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Thank Okay. Thank you for sharing all of this. This is incredible. Can you tell us? So, okay. When you were listing ways that you take care of yourself, you were talking about movement and mirror work and nourishment, and you, you mentioned soul connections. Um, can you talk a little bit about what are soul connections and how does that, how does that support you too? Is that part of your external human team or is there, is there like more, what, le- <laughs> I I can ask the question five different ways, but is tell us about soul connections. Well, so soul connection shows up in all of those elements. So I, it's really a matter of like being connected to myself and it's like, what does my spirit or my soul need? So I have that list of things to choose from, whether it's movement or journaling or singing to myself. I, and I do that to give myself space. I was literally just having this conversation with my therapist about needing space and choice on what I do and how I'm caring for myself because some days I might not feel like physically journaling. Mm-hmm. Some days I might not have the energy to go to a yoga class or, you know, but Knowing that whatever I choose from that list, whether it's the things that I do for me or the the external connections that I have for support, all of it does fuel my soul. Mm. Oh, I love that. I okay. So something that I I've heard you say here is the word healing. So can we go deeper into the idea of the role that healing plays in your work and in your, in your connections with other people? This to me feels kind of like an abstract question. No. And and that's like not a fault to you. It's I, I struggle with this question. You're not the first person to ask it because it's my approach to this work is a holistic approach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a matter of just going down a checklist of things that should be done or must be done. It's there's a lot of um, self-reflection involved. And there are certain sections in my framework, which is the aligned values framework that my book is rooted in and my program is rooted in. And there are questions that 
can be confronting to people, Mm -hmm. but when they're approached with curiosity rather than judgment, because I even let my, let people know, you know, do not judge yourself. Please come into this with curiosity and an objective lens. These questions aren't meant to make you feel shame. It's, it's meant to bring inquiry, right? Mm. Even in that, sometimes things come up and out that people end up working through that they recognize, I didn't know that, you know, X, Y, Z was an issue or a concern for me, but now I want to work on this. So it's, it's just this holistic approach and, you know, one question for one human might not bring up as much compared to another human. And then even, you know, the values work that we do together, when you're comparing your values against questions that come up in the section and the work of identifying bias, you're being invited to really consider how you have moved through the world, how you, and how you want to move through the world and identify where there might be some gaps and opportunities to kind of work through reassessing your approach, right? And all of it, it does require some healing because I I give homework, right? So the list of things that I shared that work for me, I offer that to my clients and it's like, take and choose what feels good for you. What works for me might not be the same thing that works for you. It's it's a collaborative effort when we're working together. And I think even in that, like the collaboration itself can be healing for people, especially for people who are used to doing things on their own or doing things in their own way. Yes. And that I that and that it sounds like it also speaks to how destructive isolation can be in general and how coming back to community and collective work and collective action can also be so healing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are are so many people that have come back to me. I'll get emails from coaching clients, you know, six months, a year later telling me how impactful their experience was and that they are still going back and referring to the work that we did together and how supportive it was for them because they had never really considered how values, something seemingly simple as values could really shift their perspective on anything that they're doing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So speaking of, okay, so I have another question. Speaking of people who are coming in and doing this work and going through, going into the moment of sitting with examining and unfolding and sitting with any uh, internal bias that starts to come up and, and learning that when people are coming in to do this work, is there anything that you wish that, that that people knew or really not even just know, but like deeply understand, accept and absorb in order to set themselves up to really do this work in a meaningful way, to sit with this, the internal biases that they are unfolding and examining? What do you wish people or what do you hope people come in with or understand or know? Um in order to in order to do this work you have to come in with a deep curiosity and an immense amount of compassion not just for yourself but for 
for other people. And, and something that has come up this year, especially is, uh, recognizing how much self-forgiveness is required, you know, um, because people obviously share really personal, sometimes challenging bits of information with me as we go through this, where, you know, things where they're sharing, you know, the, something happened that they didn't anticipate being harmful. And for someone like me, I can see clearly how it might be harmful, but that's just because I'm in this line of work, but where, where it really kind of shook them. And so I think it's really important for people to be able to kind of sit with that and learn to practice self-forgiveness for what you didn't know (laughs) and, and have compassion for that. It is not a get off the hook or get out of jail free card, but it's something that I think is really important because you, you need these, these capabilities to be able to move forward in the work and, and continue doing it. Um, I don't, I don't want people to come in and feel like they want to quit when things get hard, because sometimes it does get hard. Sometimes you have to answer hard questions. I hold that space for people. Um, but that's that I think that those are the most important pieces. And then there's also the the reality that I'm not just guiding people through how to, you know, build an inclusive brand or be an inclusive leader. I'm also inviting you to consider how you can take what you're learning and make it and turn it into a ripple effect. You know, how can you support other people? How can you invite people in your community to consider doing the same work, whether it's with me or someone else? I would love to know when you think about your work in the world, what is, what, how do you see, how can you see a shift in like, where does your, where does your work sit in the world? And how do you feel like work like this can change the world? Like what world can we picture if we do this work? So it's funny. I, I have, there, there's still a huge part of me that is a little idyllic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I desire peace and harmony. Yeah. And I've always, I've always had that in me. I, I've probably, I'm sure I've mentioned this in my content over the years, but when I was 12, I wrote an essay about world peace and talking. Yeah, I did. I still, I still have it. And then this was before, you know, everybody had, you know, computers in their home. So it's handwritten in cursive because I went to a school where we were forced to write in cursive. Mm -hmm. Same. <laughs> but I I still have this paper that 12-year-old me wrote about wanting to see world peace mm. and you know wanting to see a you know a black president, which we have since seen. Um, you know, maybe wanting to see a black woman president. Mm-hmm. And even I, I can even distinctly remember writing about um people not 
not letting their differences because of skin color, you know, not, not seeing differences because of black and white and all of that. Um, so I, I think on the very grand, lofty, idyllic scale, I want peace in the world. I love that. <laughs> I, and the sad thing, the sad reality is that so much of our society is built upon oppressive systems and white supremacist ideals mm -hmm. that make it really hard to achieve that because mm -hmm. these systems don't necessarily care about peace. They care about um, conquering and, you know, quote unquote, being the best or instilling what is the quote unquote right way to be rather than allowing people to live in their own cultures and their own practices. Exactly. Like it really, it, it really erases, it strives to erase the, the messiness of being human, which is so beautiful right? Mm -hmm. To to always have to be the best or be a specific way, or if there's like a, a right way to be like, right? To to put that message into the world would imply that the opposite of that is the wrong way. And that just, that just erases the most beautiful parts of existence, which is that being a human is so supposed to be so messy and so imperfect. And that's what's so beautiful about it. Like we explore so much in the in the differences and the imperfections and in the humanity of it all. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you even, even thinking about indigenous cultures and practices, uh, you know, even ancestors and in indigenous cultures, there's such a communal focus and a lot of our, a lot of the modern structures and systems that we live in are so individualistic. Mm-hmm. And therefore isolating, mm -hmm. which takes us further away. Yeah. 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 And I, I know we've had this conversation offline, right? Like white supremacy culture and oppressive systems, like they they want us isolated so that we are in our own shit, mm -hmm. essentially. They they yeah. it, the the systems are set up to keep us isolated, to keep us tired to keep us focused on ourselves because of what we need mm -hmm. rather than thinking, oh my gosh, if we came together as a collective, there could be so much more support in that. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, this is such an amazing conversation. And okay. I have a, I have a million words. Okay. So our million, a million um, things that I want to talk about, but th th something that really sticks out to me is you as a 12-year-old writing a personal essay about wanting to see a world that is peaceful. And the thing that always strikes me about being a kid versus being an adult is like when we're kids, we have these really beautiful ideas. Like we want to see peace in the world. We want to see everybody love each other. We want to see like these wonderful things. And then the older you get, the more, well, I I, I noticed that like the, the more people would call it cheesy, but like I would just call it like vision like like these are great things in the world like but the older we get I feel like the more things like that are categorized as 
cheesy or you know out of touch or whatever like people will roll their eyes when you talk about like these lofty ideals that like absolutely are achievable and that is the thing that strikes me is like at at what age do we start you know these like do we make these small inner concessions of like well maybe it is cheesy or maybe if I talk like that people won't listen like you know, how do we protect those, like those things that we know as kids? When we're kids, we know what's possible. We know it's possible to come together in community. We know it's possible to have a peaceful world. And, you know, do you, like, do we, is that something that we slowly, like, as we get older, like talk ourselves out of, I guess, (laughs) kind of the question that I'm asking, kind of. Yeah. I, I think it's less, about us talking ourselves out of things and more uh, external, mm-hmm. like in internalizing external narratives. Because I, I say, you know, I I want to see peace. I, I peace is even my personal definition of success, mm-hmm. and. I don't think it's cheesy at all. And I also recognize that there are people who could be like, oh, that's ridiculous. That's, you know, this lofty thing. So I don't think it's a matter of us talking ourselves out of it. I think that we internalize external narratives and allow them to quiet our voice and our desires, which I also think is, and I'm probably going to take a little hard left here for a second, (laughs) but I I also think that that speaks to why you see so many people, you know, in their thirties and forties doing these deep explorations, taking drastic career changes, starting businesses, because we we grow up and we have these ideas and then we're kind of put through the con- the societal conveyor belt if you will if if you go the traditional route of you know I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get out and get a quote unquote good job whatever the hell that means <laughs> <laughs> and you you know people find themselves feeling um just burnt out or um the, I use the to- the term like you know just like like soul suck soul sucking Mm -hmm. in, in these good jobs that they got or whatever. And then they start questioning things and they start doing things differently. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that we ever lose that. I think that we suppress it because of the narratives that we absorb. And that's why, you know, yeah, yeah, it's like, and then it's like, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe that midlife crisis is really a thing. Yes, exactly. Yes. (laughs) I I think it's people grasping for what they know is true from their youth. (laughs) Yes. I every I totally agree with everything that you're saying and I'm like letting it sink in because it's so so true. Like I think about this even coming even being in school and moving in cuz I being I was in school for journalism and I and I know you know that and so listeners when I went to college I majored in journalism and I worked in media for about 10 years and when I started out in the workplace I I'm I was very ideal going in to newspaper jobs or editing jobs and being like, we're the fourth estate. We've got, you know, um, we've got, you know, uh, structures here. We've got, you know, things we want to do. I was very much a new journalist that understood the ideals of journalism and wanted to um, uphold that. And the older journalists, the jaded journalists, um, you know, that have kind of been put through the ringer with, you know, uh, systems and structures and stories that, 
they hoped would work out and then didn't work out. It was just accepted that the older you got as a journalist, the more jaded you would become. And that's the attitude that's conveyed down the line and onto these, onto the younger generations of journalists. I can't speak if that's the same way now, because it's been 20 years since I, almost 20 years since I got out of college. Wow. But but at the time, it was very much like, oh, don't worry, you'll, you're you're not going to stay this ideal, idealistic forever. You're going to be jaded one day, and you won't you won't feel like this. And I was like, how how could I? How is that possible? But I accepted that as like, okay, well, I guess that's how it goes. But, um, you know, I certainly like fought against that as much as I could. But that's the kind of thing that like. I t- yes, like it, we don't have to make those concessions. You can keep going, keep going, and still keep with those ideals that you come up with when you're young, um, and come back to when you're middle aged. Oh my God, like that! I think is <laughs> it really is like you get to middle age and you just want to reach back to those feelings you had when you were young and felt so much more free. I guess. Yeah, and I also do want to just toss in a little disclaimer here. That is not to excuse really crappy, harmful middle-aged behavior. Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it's blowing my mind in this exact moment that I'm like, oh wait, I'm forty. That is, we are we are heading straight down the line of middle age. Like, it's very weird to like suddenly be in that headspace one day. Because in my, I don't know, in the inner world, I still feel young. I still feel like I'm in my 20s. I don't know. I don't know about you, you but still I still look like young. Oh, thank you. <laughs> We're not on video here, listeners, but uh, you can just trust that, yes. that that's true. Yeah. If I if I didn't know you and I just met you and you were like, I'm 40, I wouldn't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's wild because that is middle age. That's I That's midlife. And, and it really is like any feeling of like, you know what, I just want to sell everything and travel or any feeling of like, whatever we consider like middle age, like not actions, but like middle life, midlife crisis to be like, that really is just looking for a specific feeling that we had when we were young and could just have, you know, when you're young, you can just believe any, you can believe in the biggest, most idealistic ideas. You can feel like anything is truly possible because your whole life is in front of you. Right. And that life could include one day seeing peace, you know, as a vision for the world, which I think is so beautiful. Yeah, we definitely need it. That's for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, wow. Okay. Um, so I would love for you to tell us a little bit about, um, tell us a little bit about your book because you published a book this year, Brave Leadership is a Choice, an Inclusive Guide to Creative Belonging or to Creating Belonging. And I would love to hear more about the book. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This book. <laughs> I, I, I love my very ambitious past self for doing that work. <laughs> it is exactly what it says. It's an inclusive guide to creating belonging and it is rooted in the aligned values framework. Again, that is in my programs and it's really intended to support people. You, it, it doesn't matter if you have a business. It doesn't matter if you're a leader in an organization. It doesn't matter if you're a PTA parent. If you really care about cultivating environments where people feel welcome and like they can tap into their own sense of belonging and internal safety, 
this book is absolutely for you. If you are wanting to know how you can support people with different lived experiences, this book is definitely for you. And if you're wanting to do more of that uh, internal self-reflection and self-connection work and get really rooted in your core values, this is an accessible, digestible, actionable way to do that work. And I... Every chapter, at the end of every chapter, there's actionable reflections. So if you like to journal, you can do that. If you hate to journal, you can just voice note yourself. <laughs> um, but I I poured my heart and soul into it. And I would say that it's not just my heart and soul because there is content that has come from the learning and collaboration that I've done with clients and groups over the years as well. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, actionable, digestible and accessible is the best way to describe it because I know that there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful, inclusive books out there. And I also know that sometimes people go to pick up those books and they can feel really overwhelmed <laughs> because it can be so much information. So, um, I wrote it in a way that, feels less overwhelming and more approachable. You did. It's an incredible book. I'm so proud to have it on my bookshelf. And I'm just like, so it's so cool. You wrote a book. You published a book. That is a big deal. That is a big dang deal. Like, how does it feel to be a published author? Thank you. I honestly, I sometimes I kind of keep forgetting that I did it and I have to remind myself, yes, this is, this is something that I did and it is a big deal because not everybody does it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm exactly. also, I've also been that kind of person where it's like, I do something and I'm like, okay, I did it. And then I move on to the next thing. And I've had to really remind myself to slow down and sit in the fact that I wrote a book, which is also a childhood dream of mine. So <laughs> I love, okay. So first dream already came true. Who says the other dreams, right? Those could be right around the corner. <laughs> um, okay. So can I ask you some author questions? Sure. This is something that I, this is something I think about all the time is staring down the blank page, because I think a lot of people want to write a book, but then you sit down and you're like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write the book. I'm going to, here, I'm opening my computer. I'm pulling up a Google doc. Here we go. And then you get to the blank page and you kind of go, oh, wait a second. This is really hard. (laughs) Or did it just flow out of you? Like, what was your experience as a writer? Yeah. So it's funny. (laughs) You actually gave me some great advice when I initially started doing this, (laughs) which I will share. But when I first started writing, I I started initially writing in 2021 and I knocked out the introduction and I think the, maybe the first chapter. And I was like, I've got this. I know what I'm, you know, I I got it. And then I went to go and get into the second chapter and I got stuck Mm. and uh, couldn't, I just, for the life of me, I could not seem to form words. I couldn't get things together. And I did what I do that particular day. It was okay. Well, meditation went into meditation and actually found what was keeping me blocked. And it was related to trauma that I needed to process. So I took a break from writing and worked through that. And when I went back to it, um, you had given me great advice and you were like, Hey, you know, you don't have to write it in order. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> that was really helpful. Okay, good. <laughs> and, and then thinking, because I had a different outline 
that was just, I look back on the outline and I'm like, this is too much. I'm overwhelmed. You know, if I'm overwhelmed writing it, people are definitely going to be overwhelmed reading it. So I reworked the original outline and I did it from the perspective. Someone else had given me advice. They were like, you know, you're a really good teacher. Mm -hmm. You're, you, you know, you, the way that I teach and train and do workshops and masterclasses, people really connect in them. So they were like, why don't you just create a bunch of classes Mm -hmm. and write out your scripts and then convert that into the book? So that was super helpful. Um, And so I did that. I created a series of masterclasses and then converted the content into the book. So, I mean, real talk, like people don't necessarily want to read. The (laughs) book is available on Audible, but you can also like get masterclasses that are more in depth that kind of go along with it. Um, So that was something that was really helpful for me and also giving myself grace because I kept setting these arbitrary publish by dates. Like I need to have the first draft and, you know, the second draft and the final draft, it has to be done by the same. And it was like, why this, this, the need for this work isn't going anywhere (laughs) anytime soon, sadly. (laughs) But, uh, I, I set these dates and I think it was even again, a conversation with you where it was like, just, just finish the thing and then set the dates. And so doing that, taking that pressure off of myself, was also really helpful because, again, the work, the need for this work and this type of content, mm-hmm. unfortunately, isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So that was really helpful. In, and even even with you saying that, like you started writing in 2021 and I, I was going back through my, I was doing a year in review and I was like, oh, Crystal's book party was, book launch party was like February. So for you to write a whole book and get it published between 2021 and like the start of 2023, that's actually really fast. Like that is so amazing. Um, yeah. So even in those moments where you felt like I need to take the pressure off, give myself grace, take the time that I need, you still that's still like a really amazing timeline. Like that's incredible. Thank you. (laughs) I love it. It was so cool. And it's just so cool to like, you're my, you're the first published author that I've had on this podcast. And like, that feels really special. I love it. So exciting. I love it. I feel so honored. (laughs) Um, I feel so honored to have you here today. Um, so tell us a little bit also about, um, empowered branding. Tell us about your program and how people can work with you or contact you or get to know more about your work. Yeah, absolutely. So Empowered Branding is a 10-week live group coaching program for people who want to make sure that they are leading with a genuinely inclusive lens and honoring their core values and doing that deep inner work that we've kind of talked about throughout this podcast. And, um, you know, there, there are, there is additional one-on-one coaching support in that program. I I do give a a couple of individual sessions for people who sign up for it. Uh, and it is a, an intimate container. So I cap it at, uh, eight people because I want people to be able to feel supported. And I also want people to be able to cultivate relationships with each other so that they're not going through this work completely alone. Right. Um, so we work together through the aligned values framework and what, by the time they are finished, they will have a complete foundation 
that they can refer to to formulate any of their messaging, to help with any of their decision making, whatever that looks like, whether it's hiring team members, taking on projects, anything like that. And they will also have the tools and resources that they need to make sure that their client experience is streamlined and inclusive and that their their overall messaging from their mission, their vision, and their brand statements to anything that they're putting out into the world, visuals as well, is genuinely inclusive and connected to their core values so they can kind of let go of second-guessing themselves or worrying about saying or doing the wrong thing and just feel really grounded in how they're showing up and leading. Wow. That is work that will serve brands for the long term and bring healing to the world. Amazing. I love that. Um where what is your where can people find your website and your Instagram? Yes. Okay. So I will my website is crystallily.co, C R Y S T A L L I L Y.co. And there is a link to my Instagram on the website, but my Instagram handle is at crystallilycreative. And Crystallily sure Creative you know. on Instagram and crystallily.co online. Yes. .co is important, not .com, crystallily.co. I love it. Crystal, thank you so much for being here today and sharing with us and giving us ways that we can expand and take care of ourselves and take care of our community. I really appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining me here today on Over the Edge Podcast. Come back next week. And of course, like, subscribe, give me five stars. I would love that. Um, Help a girl out because I am new to this podcasting thing and I could really use the support. Thank you guys so much for being here and I'll talk to you next week.